Ah, okay. So today we get to do Noah. Last week we um, started the Hall of Faith and our overall intro, we've been doing the Book of Romans where we've got this son, this king, and this priest and an opportunity for us to participate in the ministry of the son, the, the king, and the priest. We participate in that with the word mixed with faith by doing what God asks us to do. We actually are participating in Christ's high priestly ministry and in his kingship as servant kings in this world. Uh, and in doing so, we are actually fulfilling our destiny as, as people, what God made us to do, to help him rule the earth in perfect harmony with each other and with him. And we looked at last week... And we saw that pleasing God is the ultimate aim of our life. By pleasing God, we are actually fulfilling what He made us to be. And we saw that it's impossible to please God without faith. There's two things we have to do if we want to please God and have faith. Two things we have to believe. What are they? You remember? He believed that He is? He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He is who he says he is. He is uh, not a genie and he's not a vending machine. Uh, He is God. He is our Father. He's our Shepherd. He is our King. He is our Provider. And he makes it worthwhile if we do what he says we should do. So we tend to look at other rewards that are more tangible. He rewards things that are intangible today and will be tangible later and if we believe those rewards are better than whatever the world can offer us then we can please God we said that uh, what we're going to do as we go through here is think of a triangle where we've got God at the top of the pyramid let's say and the other two ends of the triangle are me and other people so we've got me other people God and we're always interacting with this triangle we're always thinking in terms of me. We, we do that all the time. We, we feel our pleasures. Even a small baby thinks about me. Uh, feels the hunger pangs or whatever. Uh, and then as we get older, we start uh, being aware that other people are looking at us. And we might even get the maturity to see uh, them looking at things other than us. That's when we become good listeners. But maturity is actually getting to the point where we see what God sees. Not only what we see, what other people see, but what God sees. So let's look at Hebrews 11, verse 7. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, of course, Noah... And everybody in this Hall of Faith is a positive example. We got plenty of negative examples earlier in, in Hebrews. In particular, the wanderers in the wilderness. 
who fell without possessing their possession. God promised the promised land to them. He gave them the path to go possess it, and they failed to do so. Well, here we have Noah, who also did not possess his possession in this life, but uh, uh, did in the, uh, in, the, in the world that was to come, so to speak. So let's look at, let's look at a few things in this verse. He was divinely warned of things not yet seen. What was, what was he warned about that he couldn't see? Noah. The flood coming. Okay. Oh, in a way we might say that's what? Prophecy. Oh, well, it's a prophecy. Yeah. A flood was coming. What was the flood going to do? Destroy the earth. Destroy the earth. Okay. So God comes and says the world's going to end. The end is near. And I want you to do something because of that. Not particularly easy thing to think about. It was far off. And yet, Noah did. Why did he do it? He was moved with godly fear. Yeah. So he said, I I believe what God's telling me. And I want to do something about that. Most of the time, when we're moved to action, we're moved by fear of uh, what other people think of us. It tends to move how we dress, how we act in many respects. And as we're going to see as we go through this, Noah had ample reason to fear what other people thought and ignore what God said. But he didn't. He listened to what God said and moved with godly fear, built an ark. Why did he build an ark? God told him to, okay? So he he was moved with godly fear, built an ark. And he built an ark because he wanted to save his household. Because he believed what God told him. In doing so, he condemned the world. This is another one of these martyreo uh, instances. We've seen in the early part of Hebrews 11 here, martyreo witness. By having a witness of someone who obeyed, he created accountability for all the people who didn't obey. And he became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. The implication of the passages that we're going to look at this morning would indicate to me that the building of the ark in and of itself was... An amazing testimony to others. So let's go to Genesis chapter 6. And let's meet Noah firsthand. Genesis chapter 6. Let's start in verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. God has a clock and he started the clock. He's going to give a man 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were old men of renown. We could spend a lot of time on that verse, but I'm just going to skip over it. 
Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry he made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I'm sorry I've made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. So this is our first introduction to Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man, perfect in his ways. This word perfect uh, is sometimes uh, translated complete. It's the same idea as this teleosia. Or how do you say that, Brandon? I never can. Uh, What is it? Tello. Tello, okay. I'm making it more complex. So it's this the 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 bring a lamb that's perfect or complete doesn't have a missing leg or something is the basic idea here. He was the complete package during the time he was around. Then he begot three sons. Then uh, Genesis six verse eleven: the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So this was the core problem of the earth. Uh, People are evil, and the only specific thing we're giving that demonstrated the evil uh, actions of people was that the earth was filled with violence. And this was the reason why God wanted to destroy the earth. Um, Going back to the whole idea of Hebrews to be servant kings and priests, uh, kings and priests in God's... uh, um, Economy are there to create harmony. Harmony is when the, the body is working together where everything's doing its part for the great benefit of the body. And instead here we've got conflict because rather than serving one another, now we're trying to control one another. And when we can try to control one another, what that leads to is violence, coercion. So the earth's filled with violence and God says... Um, I don't like that. Verse 12, So God looked upon the earth, indeed it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Um, flip over to Second Peter 3.5 real quick. There's a couple of collaborating... New Testament passages that I think are worth stopping and looking at very quickly. 2 Peter 3.5 We're talking about people who ask the, the question, well, when is God going to come? It's been, been a long time since He said He was coming back. Uh, For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, well, they willingly forget something. That by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water, and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition on ungodly men. Uh, There's another judgment coming. 
because the earth is still filled with violence. And it won't be with water this time. It will be with fire. So the warning to Noah is going to be very tangible to us as well, as we will see. Let's look also quickly at Matthew 24, 37. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, till the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. We also are going to experience the same sort of thing Noah has uh, experienced. And that is a promise. And the question is, will we act on that promise? Will we be filled with godly fear? Or are we going to pay attention to what other people say? So he tells Noah how to make an ark. Tells him to make it about 450 feet long. and um, Let's see, the 300 cubits, 50 cubits, which is, yeah, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide. Uh, I've been told that there was not a ship made that large until uh, the mid, middle 1800s. <coughs> and he says then in verse 17, uh, going back to Genesis 6, Behold, I'm bringing myself floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh which is in the breath of life. Everything on the earth shall die. But I'll establish my covenant with you. And you shall go under the ark, you and your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. Verse 22, Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. Well, let's just think about what Noah went through here. If we had time, um, we would play the Bill Cosby routine about Noah. I think he got it right. Uh, Because if you remember that old routine, uh, Cosby does a great job of putting yourself in uh, Noah's place. Uh, When he says, Noah, what, what? I want you to build an ark. What's an ark? <laughs> he has to explain that to him. Why am I going to build an ark? Is it going to rain? What's rain? Well, what the indication is in Genesis, it never rained. It's going to flood. What's a flood? The world was perfect. They didn't have floods at that point. Now, well, it wasn't perfect. It was close to being perfect. Uh, so he's telling him all these things that are just sort of unimaginable. It's not just that it's going to happen again. These are things that were unthinkable at the time. There was no experience to explain any of these things that uh, Noah was being asked to do. And by the way, uh, I want you to do this over the period of 100 years. Uh, you know, 100 years is a long time to wait. 
And a hundred years is a long time to just keep on keeping on. It happens to be longer than most of us are going to live. So again, it's a positive example of how to, of how to behave. Well, let's go to a passage that explains a lot about Noah. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to see Noah used as an example to explain something to us. And in doing so, I think we're going to learn a lot about this application of Noah. 1 Peter 3 verse 17. For it is better, if it's the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Now if we back up just a few verses. Look at maybe 13. And who is it, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? And normally when you do good, people like it. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Often when you do good, you're going to get punished for it. That's just life. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So here we got our triangle again. So here I am, I'm doing something good. Someone who doesn't like it is reviling me for it. Uh, And what I do is say, well, I don't really like being reviled, but I'm going to look at God instead of looking at you reviling me, and I'm going to say, pleasing God's more important to me. And if they come and and then if someone else comes and says, well, this person's reviling you, well, why are you uh, happy about it? Why, Why are you just taking it? Then you can say, well, I've got hope in me of God. To my knowledge, this is the only passage in all the epistles that gives an explicit command to actually tell someone about your faith. There's plenty of examples of people doing it. This is the only place where it says to do it. And the interesting thing is, it's in the context of being a martyreo, a witness. Just like these Hebrews chapter 11 folks. Because they see our life, they want to come and ask about it. Well, it's better to do the will of God to suffer doing good than to do evil. There's two ways to suffer. One's to suffer because you deserve it. You did evil. And the other is to suffer when you didn't deserve it. And we have an example. For Christ also suffered once for for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. So there's your example. I mean, Christ never did anything wrong. And because of his witness, because of his testimony, because of his obedience, we're brought to God. Well, we can do the same thing with others, right? We can do the priestly function as well because we are willing to suffer for doing doing good. We can bring other people as well. See the example? Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, it says in verse 18. Put to death in the flesh, made alive in the Spirit. How was Jesus put to death in the flesh? He was crucified. How was He made alive in the Spirit? 
He rose again. Okay? What, what particular thing do we do that emphasizes put to death in the flesh, raised? Baptism. Baptism, right? Okay, so here, Jesus was baptized into death and rose in the Spirit, didn't he? And that's what he's about to do. He's going he's to tell us about baptism. And he's going to talk to us about the first baptism, which was? Noah. It was a big baptism. <laughs> Being put to death in the flesh, but made in alive by the Spirit, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, a lot's made of this verse. I, I'm not going to dig into what all people say about it. But in order for this to make sense, it's got to fit into the whole idea of being an example of suffering for doing good rather than doing evil. And I think it will, easily. So, Jesus, by the Spirit, preached to spirits now in prison. What spirits in prison? Which spirits in prison did He speak to? And when did He do it? Well, the, the, the who is it is answered in the next part of verse 20. Who formerly were disobedient... When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. So God's waiting for a hundred years. Waiting for people to come to repentance and stop doing violence. These are the people that he went and preached to. Well, did he go to preach to them while they were in prison? Or did he preach to them while they were alive on the earth? Well, alive on the earth. Look down at verse 6 in chapter 4. We're still talking about the same people here. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. Why? That they may be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Jesus went in the Spirit, preached to the people of Noah's time, so that they could do the same thing Noah did which was to obey God instead of man. To be judged according to man, made alive in the Spirit. Jesus despised the shame. And for the joy set before Him endured the cross. So He went, he went and preached. Now He doesn't say exactly how He went and preached. I believe the implication is He went and preached through Noah. And the preaching that we know, Noah may have said a lot of stuff. We're not told whether he did or not. What we know Noah did was build an ark. Now, I don't think that building this ark would have been something people would have missed. It was a big project. I can imagine that people in a world full of violence would have mocked Noah. I can imagine that people would have uh, made, made this a running joke. They certainly, we know from Matthew passage that we read, they ignored the implications of it and just kept right on going with their life. But Jesus went and preached the gospel to them through Noah. And the gospel is, in its fullest sense, that if we believe God... 
from faith to faith, we will gain righteousness with God. And when we gain righteousness with God, we get all these amazing benefits. And when we don't, we get all these amazing detriments. So, while the ark was being prepared in the days of Noah, which a few, eight souls, were saved through water, verse 21. So there's an antitype, an example, a figure for us to see, which now saves us. So what, what, what saved Noah? The obedience. And the obedience was specifically that he did what? Built an ark. And then got on it. That saved Noah. What did it save it from? Yeah, dying. The flood. Saved him from the consequences of judgment. It didn't save him from hell. I mean, Noah had already found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This isn't a, this is, none of this is heaven and hell stuff. What we're talking about here is consequences of behavior. So there's a figure, baptism, that saves us. Not the removal of filth from the flesh. Not, not the ceremony. Not the fact that we actually go into water. That, that, that's, that's just a ceremony. No, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Uh, perhaps you remember when we were in Hebrews 9. That we can go into the Holy of Holies through the veil that is now the body of Christ. And get sprinkling on our heart. Not the sprinkling on the mercy seat that just covers sins committed in ignorance on the Day of Atonement once a year. But any time we have need for cleansing, we can go into the Holy of Holies by faith through Jesus and have our hearts sprinkled so that we can get a clean conscience so we can do good works. When we say we're buried in Christ and raised to walk in the newness of life, the intent of that ceremony is to say, this is our commitment to live this way. To live with the reality that we no longer have to walk in the flood of dissipation of our flesh. Because that's really all we get from the flesh. We can now walk in newness of life. Well, so this is the picture of Noah. And it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject to Him. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. Okay, So here we've got the triangle, and we've got a time frame. I've got me and other people. I've got me and God. I get to pick which suffering I want to incur. I can suffer the rejection of people. And when will that happen? What's the time frame for that if I'm going to do good? It's now, right? It's pretty immediate. And what I gain is glory from God. A reward from God. Which is probably out there somewhere. Which is why it takes faith to please God. Or I can appease these people and go along with them now and what I'm going to get is loss from God. I don't please God. You see, you see the difference in perspectives and time frames? Noah probably did not have a pleasant hundred years. That was probably a, a pretty unpleasant time for him. 
But he was saved from the flood. He was saved from the consequences of the flood. Everybody else is in prison. You kind of see the, you see the, it's pretty dramatic, the picture that he's painting here. These people are in prison now. They had a hundred years of eating, drinking, and making merry, and now they're in prison. Noah had a hundred years where he was getting splinters in his fingers and getting mocked. And now he's in the hall of faith. See the contrast? Have the same mind for he who suffered in the flesh ceased from sin. Chapter 4, verse 2. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Buried in, in Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. Verse 3. For we've spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same. Here we got the triangle again. Uh, Now, Peter is writing this letter to a group of Jews. And the Gentiles come to these guys and say, Hey, you you used to party with us and you're not doing it anymore. How come? And, and these guys say, well, I, I, I'm walking a different life now. And they think it's strange. They think it's strange you not, not rud with them in the same flood of dissipation. Now, this, the translators have helped us with the picture here a little bit. This isn't actually the same word as the flood, like the water. But it's the same idea. The water came in... And drowned the world and ended life. Well, that's exactly the same thing sin does. We've been raised to walk in the newness of life, the life of Jesus. And if we instead, and that's our ark, the life of Jesus is our ark. And when we live in the ark, we're saved from the effects of this flood of sin, our flesh. We can walk outside the ark any time. And when we do, we're walking right into the flood and all the destruction that it brings. And they speak evil of you. Here again, we've got the rejection of men. Which are we going to be more afraid of? The rejection of men or displeasing God? There's a time frame difference. There's a tangibility difference. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. We want to see evidence of things not seen. And that's the Word of God. Verse 5, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They may be mocking you now. They may be rejecting you now. They're storing up for themselves judgment. God's ready to judge right now. He's just waiting for the time. For this reason... The gospel was preached all those to those who are now dead, that they may be judged according to men, but live according to God and the Spirit. This is the reason God went and built the ark and took all this time. He could have just plopped Noah up, destroyed the world, and then put him back. But he had Noah build this ark, so through Noah, people could get the point. They could have the testimony. There's a, there's a way to be saved from this condemnation. Well... The end of all things is at hand, verse 7, for us. Okay? The world's going to still... There's a new pronouncement. The world's going to end. 
It's going to be burned up. We're not exactly sure when, but it's certain. When it is, everyone's going to be judged. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. Love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable without grumbling. Have you seen this list before? Love others, be hospitable, and be content with things such as you have. Have you seen this list before? Where'd you see it? Hebrews 13. Let's go to Hebrews 13. Let's just see it firsthand. Hebrews 13, let's start with 12.25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape him or refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now is promised, saying, yet once more I'll shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Okay, he shook the earth before. He's, he's going he's to shake heaven this next time. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. The old, This earth's going to go away. There's a theme here, right? If we try to please these people who are just temporary and are going to be judged, and if we cling to this earth that's going to be destroyed, we are to be pitied because we're clinging to things that are temporal and won't last. Therefore, since we're receiving a new earth, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace, which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. It's almost exactly the same phraseology. So, what do you do? Let brotherly love continue. Remember the prisoners. This is one that Peter didn't have. Be hospitable, have a good marriage. Be without covetousness. Don't grumble and, have, and, and don't be covetous. They're basically two sides of the same coin. It's the same thing. When we do these things, what are we doing? In no way it terms. When we, when we live like this, what are we doing? We're building an ark. We're, we're being a witness. We're preaching the gospel so that people can be judged according to men in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. And maybe they'll want what we have. This is the message of the Hall of Faith. You want to, do we want to be live in a flood of dissipation, which is pain to us now? It's not just in the future. Or do we want to live in the ark? Be saved from that, both from the effects of the flood of dissipation of our own flesh, of the world system which will cause us consternation from other people and please God. The end is near. Let's build an ark. The last part of uh, Hebrews 11 um, pertaining to Noah. By faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Moved with godly fear. Prepared an ark. He was a witness. He escaped destruction for the saving of his household. 
by which He condemned the world. His witness created accountability and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. This is a phrase Paul really loves. Became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And of course, the book that Paul wrote where this is the theme of the whole book is Righteousness According to Faith, Paul. Romans. Romans. So let's just flip through Romans and just see some of these instances of righteousness of faith. It starts in Romans 1, 17. Start in 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Jesus preached the gospel through Noah when Noah built the ark. Paul loves the gospel. Why? It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The Jew first, also the Greek. For in it, the gospel, righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And what Paul's going to demonstrate in the book of Romans is that righteousness begins when we're justified by faith freely without any uh, requirements whatsoever of behavior on our part. Just enough faith to look. Just like Abraham, just like David. And then it becomes manifest through experience the reality in our lives When we walk by faith. That's why it's from faith to faith. And we're saved from the penalty of sin. And then we're saved from the power of sin. Looking forward to the time when we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. And all three of these things are salvation. They come through faith. Through believing. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. How is it revealed? How's the righteousness of God revealed? Through the gospel. How's it revealed though? How's it shown? How's it witnessed? Through people. people, Building arcs. Living in obedience. When we walk in faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Let's look at Romans 4. Romans 4. Well, how how did Abraham get righteousness? Verse 10. While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Well, while he's uncircumcised. And he received the sign of the circumcision, which was a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while he was still uncircumcised. Righteousness of faith comes through believing, not through ceremony. This is justification. And sanctification comes in chapter 9, verse 30. The actual coming of righteousness as a reality in our daily walk, the way we actually build the ark, is this way. Chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say to them? What's the conclusion of all the passage up to this time? The theme verse of Romans is, The just shall live by faith. 
live by faith. So Romans is mainly about living by faith, building an ark of a life of faithfulness. What shall we say then? This is what we say. here's Here's the big point. That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. Paul is writing this whole book of Romans to a group of Roman Christians whose faith is being spoken of throughout the whole world, defending his gospel from slander from Jewish competitors who are claiming that grace is not the basis for salvation, but Judaism is and religious practice. See, these Gentiles weren't even pursuing it, but they attained it. How? The righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? They didn't seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, upon which they stumbled. Verse 10. I'm sorry, chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God for Israel is that they may be saved. Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is the law this way. The man who does those things shall live by them. And if we had time, we could go to Leviticus chapter 18 where this is quoted. And what we would find in Leviticus 18 is a whole list of law rules. And it's mostly sexual stuff. Don't have sex with your mom. Don't have sex with your father's wife. Now, why would he say that when he just got through saying, don't have sex with your mom? Might be a stepmom. And he goes through and he throws all these things and closes loopholes. Why would he close loopholes? Because we look for them. Because what the law does is give us a, a challenge to find loopholes so we can do what we still wanted to do and not break the law, right? That's how it works. That does not create righteousness. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 30. And Deuteronomy 30, I'm going to paraphrase, says, this is Moses speaking, look guys, this is not that hard. It's not like you have to have a missionary come from some across the sea and explain it. It's just not that hard. It's not like you have to have an angel come down out of heaven and explain this. It's just not that hard. You know the right thing to do. You know it in your heart. So speak it and do it. That's all the hard this is. See, I'm giving you two roads today, guys. A road of life and a road of death. A road of blessing and a road of cursing. Choose life. I'm giving you a choice, but I'm encouraging you to choose life. Because if you do, you'll live. And if you choose death, you'll die. Does that sound familiar relative to Noah? Get in the ark. Live. If you don't, you're going to die. Once the door shuts, it's too late. And he's talking to elect people. This is not a heaven and hell passage. He's talking to Israel about whether they're going to get blessing or not. And this is the way life goes. It's a stark contrast. The end is near. We will have lived our lives building an ark, eating and drinking and being merry. 
If we eat and drink and be merry, there'll be a lot of people that'll go along with us. Uh, more than likely we'll suffer from it because sin brings death. It's a consequence of sin. But at least we can avoid shame, at least in some respect. But then we won't please God. And, and the, the loss is immense. On the other hand, we can do good. If you do good, you're going to suffer for it. Those who desire to live godly will be persecuted, Second Timothy tells us. But we'll please God. Noah, moved with godly fear, chose to do all that God asked him to do. In doing so, he created a witness that condemned the world. We're asked to build an ark too. We are buried in Christ, raised to walk in the newness of life. When we walk in the newness of life, we're building an ark. We're invited every day to walk in a flood of dissipation of the the desires of the flesh. The root of which is envy and self-seeking. We feel it every day, all day long, don't we? We still still live in this body of death. But by faith, we can put that to death and walk in loving one another and being hospitable and being content with what we have. And in doing so, we're building an ark and following Noah in the hall of faith. Uh, God, thanks for this amazing man, Noah, and his example of faith. Help us build arks, Lord. We don't know when you're coming back, but we know it's soon. And when you do, you're going to be ready to judge. Uh, God, help us not suffer for doing evil, but for doing good. Help us see beyond the time frame of our own personal pain and walk in pleasing you because we have a greater mission. And that greater mission is to please you. And in doing so, receive the fulfillment of all you made us to be, as you promised. In Jesus' name, amen.